as we look at how we have a relationship with our employees, traditionally, American businesses, it's transactional. And what I hear younger generations saying and what I see in the workforce is they want a relationship. So managers and leaders have to shift their mind to being it's not a transaction, that it's actually, you know, we want a relationship. The workforce landscape is rapidly changing and educators and their institutions need to keep up. Preparing students before they enter the workforce to make our communities and businesses stronger is at the core of getting an education. But we need to understand how to change and adjust so that we can begin to project where things are headed before we even get there. So how do we begin to predict the future? Hi, I'm Salvatrice Kumo, Vice President of Economic and Workforce Development at Pasadena City College and host of this podcast. And I'm Christina Barsi, producer and co-host of this podcast. And we are starting the conversation about the future of work. We'll explore topics like how education can partner with industry, how to be more equitable, and how to attain one of our highest goals, more internships and PCC students in the workforce. We at Pasadena City College want to lead the charge in closing the gap between what our students are learning and what the demands of the workforce will be once they enter. This is a conversation that impacts all of us. You, the employers, the policymakers, the educational institutions, and the community as a whole. We believe change happens when we work together. And it all starts with having a conversation. I'm Christina Barsi. And I'm Salvatrice Kumo. And this is The Future of Work. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Future of Work podcast. I am your host, Salvatrice Kumo. Today, we'll be talking about workforce planning and development and what the outlook for the next generation of workforce will look like. We will also talk about what employers can do to make sure they keep their employees coming back in this fast-paced world with high rates of turnover. With that said, we are excited to welcome back Don Bradburn, who has previously joined us for the Future of Work Conference, our first one, in fact. Don is the Director of HR Strategy Design, Workforce Planning, and Analytics for Southern California and Hawaii markets for Kaiser Permanente. With over 12 years of experience in human resources and workforce planning and development, Don understands the need to support operational departments and the importance of timely, responsive, and accurate advice from the HR staff. As an HR director, he developed his staff to understand the primary role of human resources is to assist managers, supervisors, and employees with problem solving. Welcome back, Don. Oh, thank you, Salvatrice, for having me back. It's a pleasure. Love it. As I was sharing the intro, I thought, oh my gosh, that's right. Don was our first, first guest at the Future of Work conference back in 2019, right? 19. Yeah, it was the fall before everything took a turn. <laughs> Took an immediate right-hand turn, right? Right. (laughs) Well, you know, the Future of Work Work Conference is one that we are so proud to always host every year. And some of our audience members might know who you are. Others may not. So I think it might be a really good idea to share with our audience what led you to this work in human resources, you know, in workforce planning and analytics. And why is this something that continues to really be an interest to you? Actually, I always start off by telling people human resources was something I always had sworn I would never do. You know, for anybody who's in their college classes saying, I will never, Uh that could become 
you know, the exact opposite of your life, just because that's the way paths take you. But originally yeah. when I was studying, I was looking in business and talking about finance and accounting, and those were things that drove it. But you also know I've served in the military. And one of the last assignments I had was doing training and training and development. And that actually brought out a certain part of me that, you know, I really kind of connected with helping people grow and progress. And then as I transitioned out of the military, it kind of led a natural path into human resources and training and development or organizational development. And from there, it kind of grew. And I mentioned the math part of it and the the finance and accounting simply because it leads back to where I finally come with the workforce planning and analytics. I think, you know, over the time, I've had some experiences that really drove and focused kind of my approach in HR on workforce, on strategy, workforce development, workforce planning. And, you know, one of those I think that sticks out to me that kind of really drives it was in 2008 when the financial crisis kind of happened. I was in Southern California with the County of San Diego and their Department of Health and Human Services. And in Mm -hmm. 2009, they were going to do a reduction and there was planned reduction for about 300 staff. And there was a piece of me having grown up kind of in the military, you don't leave anybody behind and you want to make sure that you do right by everybody. And all I said was, you know, if this is what we're going to do, then let's talk about it now. Give me, you know, a year. Because as I looked at the numbers and I looked at turnover, I looked at retirements and promotions, demotions, all those things. I looked at those factors. We can place these 300 people if we just turn internally. And, you know, there may be times where we need to go external, but if these are the types of jobs we're filling, we need to do it internally and we need to shift our workforce and keep them engaged because it stems from a couple of beliefs. One, I believe you have to do right by people and you don't leave them behind. Everybody has, you know, that piece. From an organizational perspective at that point, it was a challenging time. You know, there was a lot of people, at least one member of the family had lost a job after that crisis and to put Mm -hmm. somebody out that we could repurpose for lack of a better word, it just didn't seem right. And then there was the fact that you want to make sure that you address what I would call survivor guilt. Anytime you do a reduction in force, the people who are left behind had connections with the people who were gone. Mm. And it does drag on morale. The good thing Mm. was we were able to do it. We placed all 300 people. And that kind of drove a commitment to say, we have to do better in human resources when we look at the workforce and how we bring them in, how we treat them while they're here and how we help them transition to retirement. And so those are some pieces that really stuck out to me is Mm -hmm. what drives my passion for the work. You know, I often share the other piece is, you know, I came from a low income community in the Midwest and Mm -hmm. I didn't know it at the time, but I got an internship using what they called JTPA, Joint Training Partnership Back, I think is what it stood for, which is the predecessor of funds that still trickle down today. You know, that gave me a sense of work ethic. It made me have a sense of purpose. And so I also see it as giving back in that regard that, you know, I once benefited from an internship with these monies, and now I have the ability to kind of bring that to life for other people. That's beautiful. You know, we use these terms, HR strategy, workforce planning, you know, all of these technical workforce terms that are very fluid, in -hmm. my humble opinion, depending on the industry sector, depending on who you're speaking with. Through your lens, the terminology of workforce planning, analytics, and HR strategy, what does it really entail? What are all the weeds involved in that? And what does that look like for you? 
it is, it's a very all encompassing thing. And even some days I go, wait a minute, like we seem to be shifting in what we do, but it's really just adapting to the current environment and analyzing our workforce on a micro level and looking at kind of what movements we're seeing, you know, as far as turnover is a driver in there. Also, we have in Southern California market, we call it a churn. And this is where people are moving from one service area to another, uh, maybe to be closer to home, but it causes a disruption in the workplace. And so we kind of right. try to like to be able to manage that. And it also, for our line of work, it gets to that continuity of care because you don't want different people showing up every day at the patient's bedside. Mm -hmm. And so that plays into it. We also look at when we expand in the market and to try to identify what are our true needs. And a, an example of that is we are getting ready to open an MOB, a medical office building. Sorry about that. In Murrieta, <laughs> start using acronyms. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, the question is, is, you know, we know what we want to staff it, but we don't know like how many of those are external or how many people will want to move closer to home from where they currently work. And so we work in doing some predictive analytics to kind of say mm -hmm. where pieces might fall, because even though it's opening in Murrieta, the reality is the end state may be that there are more vacancies in Riverside or Moreno Valley or even San Diego where people are saying, hey, like I live in Murrieta and I want to be closer to home because, you know, all of the changes in the environment with COVID-19, one thing didn't change. People like short commutes. Mm -hmm. That's been a constant through there. So we do those from the analytics perspective and we try to kind of keep our pulse on what the needs of the business are to deliver the service. And the strategy piece really ties into how do we fill those gaps? And specifically with HR, it's really how do we fill in those talent gaps? But it also can be how do we identify and fix performance gaps on an organizational level? Yeah. You know, you got me thinking, is there a specific entity or who or what entity, I should say, are you looking at? for the information you need to do some of that strategy work. Yes, you're looking internally, but mm -hmm. I have to believe you're looking externally too, right? Well, especially with all the stuff happening out in the world. Who are you following that kind of helps inform your, those decisions for you? That's actually a great call out because mm -hmm. I didn't go to the macro level, which is really driving mm -hmm. a lot of what we see today and a lot of the work we mm -hmm. do. And I'm sure we'll get into it a lot more later, but we're mm -hmm. looking at, you know, we have a partnership with Gartner Group. They provide mm -hmm. a lot of healthcare related statistics in there. We also, you know, work with the American Hospital Association of Southern California. We also work with our education partners, the people that yeah. we're working with and seeing what they're seeing on the ground as far as, you know, specifically one of those is enrollments and programs. And that sets the table for how we look at what our future holds, mm -hmm. because we know there's a growing demand. We see internally, we see what exits happen, but the piece that you don't always have and you have to go external is to say, what are those enrollments? look like? And are mm -hmm. we going to produce and graduate enough talent to fill those pieces? And so, yeah, that's a very good call out. We look to a lot of people for benchmarking about where we are against other organizations in our field, but also to education partners to see like what could be the future gaps and, and what demand right. do we need to have? So it's interesting. You're looking at educational institutions as one of the partners, as one source of information. And then we're looking to you. So it's like we're doing this exchange of information, which is really helpful because we can tell you through our perspective and our lens, what we're seeing as the ask and the demands from our participants, our students, our adult learners. And then you're sharing with us really kind of the exact pulse and so that we can adapt to what you're facing and ensuring that we're filling the talent gaps or trainings or 
fill in the blank, right? Anything that you need, we can help. We can certainly help with that. You know, you mentioned adapting to the current environment, mm-hmm. right? Like that's really the theme across strategy work and planning and with the support of the analytics is adaptation. And there's been an enormous amount of disruption in the last few years. I cannot even imagine the level of intensity of those disruptions within an institution like Kaiser, both at a corporate level and at a hospital level. What major changes really have been made in the way that we look to the future of work as far as the future workforce and what mindset change there's been given all these disruptions? You know, I think we just live in a disruptive world right now. If I was, mm-hmm. to, you know, just to be completely honest, but the last few years have been very challenging. You know, for us at Kaiser, we had always embraced this virtual visit with physicians, and some of them mm-hmm. were just done via voice or phone. But we really started upping the game as, you know, lockdowns occurred. And the idea was there are still people with chronic conditions that need access to healthcare. Mm-hmm. And so, what we really started moving more towards was these virtual visits where they were video conferences between the doctor and the patient. And that took a change in what people had to perfect as far as their skills, because, you know, it's one thing when you're talking to somebody face to face and you can see all the nonverbals of a patient who maybe is going through a very stressful time to doing it virtually. So there is pieces that even that becomes more real than just a phone call, you have to tighten up your soft skills and be able to read the room, so to speak, and understand, you know, what's going on and how to carefully probe for the patient to provide more information over that. So that, I think there was a big shift there in how we look at it. We had a lot of administrative work where people were actually just, we went virtual, I being one of them. And even that, you know, as simple as it sounds, sometimes can become with its own set of complications about how you keep that connectedness with your teams mm-hmm. and with others and with operations. So there was a lot in that space. But mm-hmm. I think what's really disruptive in healthcare has been with the response to the pandemic and being that it was so broad geographically, we saw nurses and healthcare people moving more to this travel what we call travel nursing and travel staffing. And so they were basically more kind of like the gig economy and healthcare came Mm -hmm. together. And so, you know, we saw people moving towards that. At first, people, I think, say that was really kind of about compensation. But, you know, as I reflect on it, I see and hear, you know, younger generations talking about what they want out of the workforce with more flexibility. They want, you know, to have a little more ownership. I can see where that business model actually appeals to them. And I think... You know, that requires organizations like ours to start to think about how do we provide that same flexibility to the worker, even in a healthcare setting, because clearly Mm -hmm. not everybody can work remote when they need to be by the patient bedside. But do we have to go with the virtual or remote, or is there something else about how we deliver services that can be repackaged? so that it's more Mm. attractive to younger generations, for Mm -hmm. one. And two, how do we package it so that maybe people who are thinking of retiring maybe still have a commitment and still want to work, but they don't want to work the traditional, you know, 40-hour week or 12-hour days as we often see in patient care settings. So I think Mm -hmm. there's been disruption. There's been some change. I've seen shifts in leaders who have said absolutely no remote, actually go to more flexible where they're willing Mm -hmm. to work with the employees to say, you know, maybe on these days for that type of task, you can do it elsewhere, but other times you come here. So I think the conversation still continues. I think it probably should get broader 
and not just focus on the context of the location that people are at, but also mm. the time, the days, the hours that we ask of people. You start to see that there's a shift going on in the workplace where people like to have a little bit more work-life balance. And I imagine it has to be challenging because there's a level of care or there's a level of promise, right? Through mm -hmm. Kaiser's mission and servicing and caring for their patients. So it's like that delicate dance between repackaging what you were sharing earlier, repackaging the job, I'm going to just say it that way, and still delivering the level of care that Kaiser's super proud about. Mm -hmm. But I have to believe that's hard. <laughs> I, <don't, laughs> yeah. I do not want to be in your shoes right now. <laughs> that, that is definitely a challenge for that yeah. very reason. Because first and foremost, you know, the commitment is to the member. Right. I like that you call them a member and not a patient. I like that. I picked up on that. Well, through that, right, through addressing these and seeing the opportunity, where the opportunities are and adapting, is there one issue or challenge that rises to the top when we speak about this fluidness within our workforce and the adaptation that maybe just not through the lens of Kaiser that you're mm -hmm. seeing, but kind of across the board in the healthcare sector. Might there be one? I'm going to call it one, but it's got two sides to it. So if I can <laughs> use some flexibility here myself. For sure, um, for sure. And I think it's, we sit here and the problem is we have a critical nursing shortage, not just in mm -hmm. Southern California, not in California, across this country, there is a critical nurse shortage that's only getting worse. You know, I think when I had joined the Future of Work Conference in 2019, I had mentioned there was a brewing talent war. And mm -hmm. I think some people thought that was a little dramatic to call it that, but here we are a few years yep. later and you see you can't turn on the tv open a newspaper and not see that employers are struggling to keep to retain to attract talent so i don't know what else to call it because i'll tell you the talent acquisition folks feel like it's a bloodbath I bet. <laughs> they are probably the hardest job there is right now but it's twofold in the sense that I want to go bigger because it gets to the heart of the problem is, and I think it holds true for other occupations, but it's really important for healthcare as we have these factors as aging population. We have baby boomers that are retiring. You know, I think it's what, 10,000 a day that people are leaving mm -hmm. the workforce of the mm -hmm. baby boom generation. Yet we're not bringing in that same number of workforce. So the drain is pulling so hard and it's just making the situation so much worse in nursing. So I think there's two things. One is this, we got a problem with low enrollments in career fields or education programs that lead to this career. But we also have this problem with people leaving. So this nursing shortage is really created by this pull from both sides. But mm -hmm. like you said, is it a problem or is it an opportunity? And I think when we talk about it in a future perspective, this requires us to stop think about and reframe how we attract talent and how we retain talent. And I'll say specifically, you know, this is going to require industry and colleges and education partners to really coordinate. And it gets back to what we were sharing, like, right, we have some information and you have some information. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, what we both really want to know is how many people do we need to get through these programs? to land in these jobs, to meet the needs of the community. And so that's a piece of it. But I think the other one is, is we have to rethink how we view the traditional work life in the sense of, you know, we've always had this, you come into an organization, you work, and then you retire. Mm -hmm. And it's that abrupt. Mm -hmm. And that for many years worked because you needed to free up the openings for younger generations to take on the roles and to be gainfully employed. But that's not the case today. We need the older workers to stay and we also need more newer workers. And so I think the challenge mm -hmm. on the employer side is how do we 
change their work so that they're interested in staying longer? What does that look like? And how do you partner with the education? Because there's opportunities there. We know that a lot of people don't want to just abruptly leave. But yet, as an employer, we're often rigid to, well, you need to work the full schedule or retire, but you can't have this like flexible thing. I call it a transition to retirement, which is good for them, but it's also good for us. I think we've got to figure out that. And then if I circle back to what I originally said with the shortage in the community colleges and not getting the enrollment or the other piece of the puzzle, as we all know, is clinicals. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. Community colleges can train more people, but if you don't have a place to do the clinicals, it's not going to work. And so- There's an opportunity there. How do we use these folks who are getting ready to retire? How do you take those and maybe they can help with the clinical rotations? Maybe they can help the community colleges with having more educators. There's a way to use their knowledge, skills, and abilities and their talents that they've accumulated over 40 plus years versus just saying, well, here's your retirement gift. I hope you enjoy retirement. What do you think is that hesitation, Don? Like, what do you think is that hesitation on the flexibility piece? I think it's a hard shift for people to shift from because we're so used Mm. to it. It's so ingrained in us over years. But then operationally, people struggle with, I need to have the schedule done. And that can be complicated if I have to work around folks. But I think at the end of the day, you know what? Life is going to get more complicated when you don't have anybody either. That's right. And so sometimes you have to say, you know, maybe that's not easy, but it's better than what I have. And Mm -hmm. I have to adapt to that. Yeah, maybe it takes a little more creativity to do the scheduling. But I think we got to start the conversation sooner rather than later of this population twofold. How do we get in there? How do we make sure the younger generation says healthcare is the job for me? That's my calling. I want to do it. And how do we say, hey, maybe you're thinking about retiring and there are days that you think are better than others. And sometimes you're ready to throw in the towel. But what if we had an opportunity for you to share with the next generation what you've learned and that be your focal point? You know, I think there's a lot of complex pieces around it, but we know that you know, from other dynamics, when you take younger generation and older generation folks and you create a, like a mentor-mentee relationship in there, that you often find that that younger generation will flourish with that. And as well, mm-hmm. it's also good for the seniors in the community and people who are getting up there to be able to still have that value, feel that worth, and actually make mm-hmm. a difference in somebody else's life. And I think it's right in healthcare because that's really what you know these folks have done their whole career is help yeah. others. Right. And be of service. And mm-hmm. they're already wired that way. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Are there other examples that Kaiser is working towards on internal growth? I mean, we talked about, you know, bringing in new talent and retaining the talent that is in transition. But what about those kind of in the middle? I'm curious to kind of see like what programs are involved in helping grow and upskill everyone else in between. Selfish pieces is probably the most important part of a conversation today with that. And I often hear we talk about talent acquisition and people will say, oh, we want to have an early career initiative and bring in younger people. If that's all Mm -hmm. you do, you're going to fall short. The math is just not on your side. More people are leaving than you can bring in. And so, you know, in 2019, we started doing apprenticeships. Mm -hmm. We have this sterile processing apprenticeship that we do. It's an internal pipeline. We take people who are in housekeeping, environmental services, food services, and we upskill them with a program, give them 600 hours of on-the-job training, then connect them with a mentor 
in the line of work, we grow our own essentially in there. Those are still room to bring people from outside. Yes, the demand is, mm. you know, you can't do one or the other. You have to do both. It really changed the way we do it. We're now in our fourth cohort. We continued those nice. through the pandemic. We also do upskilling programs for our nurses. We have programs where they can change specialties. So if they're just in med surge, but they want to go be a nurse in the ED, like we have a program for them to change that specialty. We also still had new grad programs. They kind of got paused and now we're back with them again to bring in new talent. We also did a wound autonomy care nursing program. It's wound autonomy care nurses are so hard to find. It was one of those we identified and said, you know, Know, we can keep searching or we can say, hey, who do we have that wants to do this? And you know, our response was really good. We had challenges during the pandemic with different requirements you know, for people to get into the clinicals, but all in all, we got through it. They've graduated. They got their certifications. They've all transitioned into the work. So those are a couple. We're always looking for ways to do it because at the end of the day, we also know younger workers are looking for career paths. They want an employer that's invested in their growth. And I always tell people, you know, they're not just saying it when they show up, you're going to have a retention problem if you can't show it in action. And so you have to be doing that with your internal people. Otherwise, when they come in, they're going to be like, they're not doing it for the people who are here. Why would they do it for that's me? Right. So it puts the pressure back on the employer to really make good on developing staff. And, and the last piece that I would just say that is, as I have these conversations where managers are like, it, it takes time. Well, you can keep sorting through resumes, scheduling interviews, have people cancel their interviews and go back to the drawing table over and over again. Or you can invest a little bit of time in the people who are already here and, and grow them. But mm -hmm. at the end of the day, the other one is, as I always put out to people, when we talk about improving employee engagement. Workforce development, career development is at the core of engagement. Mm. Nothing says engagement more than investing in the people you have and giving them an opportunity to grow. That's how you engage people. It's not just some appreciation luncheon. They have to see it, feel it, live it, experience it every day. And that's the shift that you know, I think we and other employers are starting to realize. Do you think it's too little too late? Or obviously it's something we should be doing right now. Mm -hmm. I think for some, it may be a little too late as far as keeping up with the competition. For us, I look at it and I say, well, we have a foundation. We just need to scale up. We need to make this a way of life. It shouldn't even be a challenge. It should just be the first thing that people think right. of. I use the example, you know, I told you we did the sterile processing apprenticeship. We filled internally, you know, that was a job that came about because we were having trouble retaining and attracting sterile processing techs. Mm -hmm. To this day, we most all of them are getting filled internally through our training program. We still get some, you know, that come in from outside, but the majority of them are internal ones. And mm -hmm. so as we face recruitment challenges, that's an example of where if we do it, you have less of a strain because you have a right. pool of people that you created, but then you can look externally too, but you're not right. solely reliant on one thing or the other. For sure. There's so many little like golden nuggets from this conversation, <laughs> Don. I really appreciate it. I gotta tell you what, you know, I really hope that our listener is picking up on those golden nuggets too. Oftentimes, we just said it, we spend so much time concentrating on those who are departing and transitioning out and filling in those gaps, but we spend very little time, sometimes no time into investing in the people that are already here to fill those gaps. And I love the fact that you said, look, Tell me if I got this right. Career development, invest the people. That's how you get employee engagement. 
Absolutely. Spot this on. This one-off, you know cookies and coffee and these one-off appreciation. Yes, they're helpful, you know, don't get me mm-hmm. wrong, but that's not part of culture. So what I heard was this is part of culture. Yes. It has to be part of the culture. And yeah. you know, I would just share a little bit more on that and it gets a little bit big. I go on a macro level, but I think as we look at how we have a relationship with our employees, traditionally American mm-hmm. businesses, it's transactional. And what I hear younger generations saying and what I see in the workforce is they want a relationship. So managers and leaders have to shift their mind to being it's not a transaction, that it's actually, you know, we want a relationship. And mm-hmm. with a relationship, a healthy relationship, you get good engagement, you get outcomes, you get people who are committed. And right. That becomes so critical. And I will just end with this part saying it's really critical in healthcare because at the end of the day, as I have always said, our employees will treat the patients the way we treat them. And so we want the members of Kaiser Permanente to be treated well. We have to treat our employees well. We have to take care of them the way we want them to take care of all of our members because they're the face of the business. The member-facing people have to realize there's opportunity, there's growth, there's value. And you know that takes a lot for leadership to get that. Well, I'll tell you what, we couldn't have ended in a better note, Don. I really appreciate that. This has been absolutely lovely. Thank you again for all of your commitments and to your commitment to helping us as a system solve all these opportunities. We thank you very, very much. I know this is not a one and done conversation. I'm sure you and I will be chatting again. (laughs) If there are audience members that would like to connect with you, what would be the appropriate place or appropriate way to contact you? They can always connect on LinkedIn. I think you have that piece Mm -hmm. on there, but you can also email us at scal, S-C-A-L hyphen W-F-P-D, workforce planning and development at kp.org. Again, that's scal dash W-F-P-D, P as in planning, D as in development, at kp.org. Thank you so much. We'll be sure to put those in the show notes. Don, it's been wonderful. You've got a busy schedule. I want to let you to it. Thanks again. Thank you very much. Have a good day. Anytime, Salvatrice. Have a good one. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Future of Work podcast. Make sure you're subscribed on your favorite listening platform so you can easily get new episodes every Tuesday. You can reach out to us by clicking on the website link below in the show notes to collaborate, partner, or just chat about all things Future of Work. We'd love to connect with you. All of us here at the Future of Work and Pasadena City College wish you safety and wellness.